1: Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today our focus is on uncertainty and chaos. We put it in this context. The pace of change we all know is increasing. Most everybody I talk to, managers, leaders, and employees feel that they are pretty good at managing change on the whole. But the current pace is killing them, whether that pace is coming from a growth opportunity, from an innovation opportunity, from a cost containment opportunity, or just concerns about the economy. With all that change comes a ton of uncertainty, both in terms of my own employability, in terms of which is several possible outcomes we should plan for, in terms of which decisions that are made are going to get stick are going stick for a while, which ones are going to reverse, what else is going to be added to my plate. So, how can you make sense out of that chaos for yourself and for your team? And that's what we want to talk about today. With me is Patty Johnson. Patty is the author of a book, Make Waves, Be the One to Start Change at Work and in Life. But more importantly, Patty is a specialist at providing expertise on complex change. She works with clients like PepsiCo, Microsoft, 7 Eleven, Accenture, Free Light, and a bunch of others. She was an executive at Accenture. And she is also a faculty member, featured in lots of different uh, media, such as Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. So, Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. This, I am excited about this show because I can't tell you how many times I end up in conversations with people asking, how do I deal with the uncertainty and chaos? So, I know you say that there are two ways to deal with ambiguity and uncertainty. What are those?
2: Well, there are two key levers you can turn in ambiguous situations. One of them is you can try to reduce the ambiguity, and the second one is you can try to increase your comfort with it. In, in my experience working with my clients, I think we all naturally gravitate to trying to reduce the ambiguity, but sometimes we can't. So looking at those two pieces together is really important when you are facing high change, uncertainty, ambiguous situations. So those are really the two main letters.
0: Okay, so I'm, we're going to turn and talk to, about the first one, how yeah. do you reduce the ambiguity, but let's go to the second one because it's the hardest one. So mm-hmm. how do you increase your comfort with ambiguity when so much is at stake?
2: Right. Well, if you want to increase your comfort with ambiguity, you know you've got to, I think there's a few things that we all do that can fly right in the face of it. And one of them is that tendency to think that you have to have all of the answers. You can increase your comfort by giving yourself a break and really focusing on what do I know right now and spend your energies there uh, also, don't expect certainty. Don't expect to have, the, you know, really, ambiguity means you're in a time that's complex. It can be interpreted differently. It can mean that it is, um, it's uncertain. It's brand new. It hasn't happened before. So you have to, in order, one of the ways that you can increase your comfort level is reset your expectations. Think a little shorter term and let go of that need to have all the answers and be in control. We can talk about all those more, but those are some of the headlines because sometimes, especially as leaders, it can go right in the face of what we think of as um, what we should be doing.
0: Okay, so let's do the first one. I have to not letting go of having to have all the answers. Uh, Too many people that I talk with Mm -hmm. worry that, especially in times of change, If their Mm -hmm. team turns to them and asks for questions and they say, I don't know, or we don't have that answer, that they look weak. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you don't think that. So what's your view?
2: Right. I think that need to have all the answers is one of the most fundamental uh, ways you can really get in your own way when you're trying to lead through ambiguity. And think about that for a minute. If you have to have all the answers, what does that really mean? Well, it means you're probably not listening to other viewpoints. It means you're probably trying to do everything yourself. And it may mean that you are replaying your past history against um, the future. And you know, we think about so many of us as leaders, you know, you're problem solvers, you're fixers. You you make things happen. That's what got a lot of us where we are. And so, the more what I have found, and I'll be curious if, if you agree with this, Wanda, But I have found that the more successful people are, the more senior they get, the more they have this bug of I have to know all the answers because that's that's why I'm in charge. That's why I'm I reached this director level or whatever it might be. And there are some big implications to that because in, in periods of high change. You need others' input. You need to help put together those patterns to say, where are we going with this? And you can't you you can't have all of that knowledge yourself. It's just not possible. So that is one of the biggest obstacles that I see people facing in um in trying to be be successful in leading.
0: I see that whether it's ambiguity or not. In fact, that's one of the premise of the radio show. Part of getting out of (laughs) the comfort zone is not having all the answers yourself. Uh, Well, let me play this back to you. I happen to agree with you, by the way, that it's okay to say I don't have all the answers, assuming that it's not something in your area of expertise that we would have expected you to have already done before. But let me give you an example. Um, a recent example, I was with a class, we were talking about admired leaders, we are talking about the ability to be vulnerable and admit what you do mm-hmm. know and what you don't yep. know. or to say I made a mistake, I didn't get it wrong. And immediately mm-hmm. someone says, but how does that contrast with confidence? Because mm-hmm. to lead in times of chaos and under change, I also have to be confident. So how do you hold those two in tension, in the right tension? I don't know and I'm confident.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't see those two as in conflict, because um, you there is a point where you have to make a decision, you have to decide where where we're going to go, so if you're still asking questions and I don't know what to do, and it's you're past the time for action, then that's when you're going to be ineffective as a leader. So you have to, the timing matters as well, but to me, I think of some of the most confident leaders I have seen are the ones, they listen to other people, and they hear what others have to say. That doesn't mean you never get to the point of having a point of view or direction because you are. that's why you're in a leadership role. Um, but I don't see those two as in conflict. Um, and I think, again, we have to feel comfortable with both of those. I, I can't be the one that does everything myself and has all the answers, but at the same time I can be a confident leader. I can give direction. Um, but you have to consider the timing. You can't live in that place of I don't have all the answers I don't know what to do Um, that's for sure you can't live there forever
0: okay so how do you know when there's a point where I have to have an opinion I have to uh, make a decision Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. you know a question I ask my clients a lot is um, how far out can you see and so we talk a lot about vision long you know and plan short so as an example uh, for a leader you can say, "I know we're head. I know this is where we want to be in the future. This is the direction we're taking." But um, right now, how how far out can we really, you know, plan and make some decisions? I also the other thing too. I think on um, in high change, sometimes decisions need to come faster. So you know, you it may be that you have a period of listening and input and and discussion, and then. You, you know you have to determine based on that calendar how long before we need to we got to move forward. You don't want to you know sometimes I talk to leaders and they'll take listening or collaborative decision making as slow. It doesn't have to be. You can put a time frame on, and I think it kind of depends on the situation. Or how long do we have? What what's how long do we have to learn about this before we have to move?
0: Right. I often hear that from leaders who I think do this particularly well, and they'll mm-hmm. they will ask people around them, when's the point at which we have to have a decision, and what do we have to decide about? Because they'll break it down and say, I have to make this decision in the next 24 hours, but the next five decisions can wait a week. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes, I think that mindset is also, you know, very important for your team members, and it's very important important for movement. Because if you think about, you know, whether it's financial planning or as a parent, you know. with that end-game, you know what you're trying to do, you know what your long-term goal is, but you get there by daily decisions and actions that help you reach that goal. And I think this is the same mindset that it can help you as a leader, it can also help the people around you of being very focused on what are we going to do right now? What are we going to do this week? Those are not mutually exclusive. You can, be, you can have vision but also be short have that short-term focus that helps people in times of change know what they're, what they're supposed to do
0: and get some results along the way. Okay. All right, so Patty, you're reminding me of two things. One is I love this vision-long plan short. That is a great phrase. Mm -hmm. I really, really Mm -hmm. like that. I'm going to use that one again. Um, Sure. But you're reminding me again that I do fundamentally believe great leadership is about holding polar opposites in the appropriate tension. Mm -hmm. So confident, certainty, and uncertainty, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability and not, and certainty, I mean, kind of okay. both of those, as well as short and long-term, and we could go on. There's dozens of these. Mm-hmm. But that getting that right balance right is really key.
2: All right. Okay. Help, oh, go ahead. Go Sorry. ahead. Sorry. No, go I ahead. Saying, one, one point related to this, I think, we're, that we're talking about also is this uh, need to control and need to be perfect. If you think about a lot of the leaders that, you know, they'll get the uh, – the tag, oh, you know, they're control freaks, they're perfectionists. Um, you know, you think about some of the musicians that, you know, they, they want everything to be just the way you hear those stories. Well, some of that is part of excellence, but in times of change, you know, I think that that's, again, that, that's one of the contradictions that you're talking about is really being crystal clear on what can I influence, what's outside of my control or influence, what needs order and structure right now, what do I need to learn? So it's like separating the, I have to control everything from what, what do I really, what can I influence, what really must be, require my uh, full attention, control, and, and reality is in periods of high change, there's much that is outside of your control or even influence. So I think that's another contradiction just as we were talking about that.
0: Okay. Fabulous. I do agree with you. There is there is this drive for excellence and expertise. We so highly mm-hmm. value the expertise and mm-hmm. that's important. And we go to recruit somebody who's going to come into the job because they've done mm-hmm. it before and they know how to do it. And yet in the face of uncertainty, this whole notion of, I don't have to have all the answers. And, uh, you know, we it, don't have to be perfect. Don't have to control everything. Very interesting conundrum. Okay, so if I just read it, go back to this, this whole notion of increasing your comfort level with ambiguity starts mm-hmm. with letting go of the need to control everything, to have all of the answers, to be perfect. Correct. Okay, we've been talking about that. That I have periods of time where I listen. And then a period of time where I need to decide. And being conscious of what the time frame is for each and not rushing through either. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is don't expect certainty. Now, that sounds lovely. Don't expect certainty. How do I do that? Any mm-hmm. advice?
2: How do you feel more comfortable with not having um, certainty? Is that your question? Is that you're Yes, exactly. Right. Well, one thing I think um, to give us a break, right? our brains are, you know, think of it as a giant prediction machine and that we like to know that's how to predict what will happen. And in fact, that's what makes an expert. I've seen the patterns. I can tell you where this is going to go. And so, again, back to the contradiction, that also can trip you up because you have to have that awareness to know um, this situation is different. This has different characteristics than what I've seen before. So while we love that thrill of creating order, whether it's cleaning out your closet, it's completing the crossword puzzle or Sudoku or, or, or having the same thing for lunch, sometimes we want some predictability, some of us more than others. And so, you know, we kind of want that search for that. So we have to figure out what it, size the situation up first to know what is it really calling for here.
0: Okay. All right. So it is not just this rush to say, here's what I know and here's how we do it and here's how it all fits together and I've seen it all before. It is really stepping back to say, are these the same patterns or is there something different? And when I start to recognize the different patterns, I start to say, let's not rush to predictability. Let's, in in effect, slow the pace down a tad bit.
2: Maybe, and it's, it's also, I think, related to this is the willingness to, you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, this perfection, that in periods of change, there will be mistakes. You, you will. So I, I always encourage leaders to have much more of an experimentation mindset. Um, given the kind of work that we do, a lot of our clients, they want you to create something and then come out and ta-da, here it is. And I think in times of change, you have to really change your mindset where what you're trying to do is you're trying to um, experiment, try a few things, see what works, adjust, learn, and keep going. And that is a different mental model than, I mean, how many times have we done project plans where you go through and you figure out what needs to be done by, you know, May 25th, did we do it? Yay, victory. When in fact, we really should be more focused on what did we learn this last, uh, this last month? How do we need to adjust our plan going forward? And it's a constant cycle of adjusting, learning, and changing going forward. And I think um, that's a big factor on in the periods of change, feeling comfortable that instead of relying solely on looking backward in history, what are those insights? What, is the, what are the patterns here? Drawing conclusions. Great entrepreneurs, they have those instincts. And so I think we need to all use those, even when we're maybe working in big organizations, that ability to kind of anticipate look around the corner see what's happening in the future pair that with what we know so that our expertise helps us it doesn't become an obstacle
0: okay i often talk to teams about the need to do a, a still a term from the army called the after action review which is mm-hmm. after you've yeah. done something particularly a big deal mm-hmm. And yep. you want to pull back and say, what worked? What would we do again? What wouldn't we do again? What would we do differently? What did we learn out of this process? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me how few times teams and companies do that after-action review, whether Absolutely. it was success
2: or failure. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see the same thing. Um, and it is the, that is the learning piece that you know we're on to the next thing. And so I think that having that step is not only to me at an end of the project, but it's important as the project is, is going. Because again, back to you can't anticipate everything in a period of change. You can't anticipate every step is being willing to go in and say, Okay, let's let's take it for the next month. We're gonna do these things and adjust. Now sometimes you have milestones, you have key leadership meetings, you know that you've got a budget cycle, fiscal year, whatever. You know, those those are Big milestones, you can't move. So you, you have to be aware of those, certainly. But, you know, then being willing to break it into pieces and um, and, and learn a little bit as you go. Because sometimes we can take, we, we can do a plan based on solely prior experience and think that, you know, again, we've got it all figured out, but conditions are going to change.
0: Okay, so you're reminding me um, one of my colleagues who was in the financial crisis dealing with a massive, massive mess Mm -hmm. and would say that they would have, you know, yes, we got the uh, six month plan, we got the two year plan. But we also have the 90-day plan, and we have the 24-hour plan, that kind of short-term. What do we have to do right now, and where do we want to be in three months from now? As I've got my eye on where I want to be two years from now, but let's keep that 90-day plan rolling over and rolling over. Okay?
2: Yes, Absolutely.
0: All right, fascinating. So let me see if I can summarize this one. Two ways to deal with um, uncertainty and chaos. One is to try to reduce the ambiguity that is present. But two, and more importantly, is increase your comfort level with ambiguity. And that has to do with just getting comfortable with not having all the answers, not being in control of everything, not trying to predict everything, not trying to be perfect, not Mm -hmm. seeing everything as the same thing you have seen in the past. So replaying history. And it is being comfortable with saying what you don't know, and comfortable in taking those moments to pause, ask questions, listen, as well as say, "What did we learn here?" Adjust and move forward. So I love your statement. It's vision long and plan short. Mm-hmm. It's I think a great that's right. I statement.
2: And also think being willing to experiment, try, learn, as you go.
0: Okay. Experiment, try, learn as you go. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk about the habits that we develop that undermine our ability to deal with the uncertainty and chaos. With me today is Patty Johnson. She's a specialist in large-scale change, complex change. The book is Make Waves, Be the One to Start Change at Work and in Life. And we'll be right back.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
2: How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace.com. At leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
0: Welcome back. With me today is Patty Johnson. Patty is CEO of People Results and the author of Make Waves Be the One to Start Change at Work and in Life. She's worked with lots of clients like PepsiCo, Microsoft, 7 Eleven, Accenture, Free to Lay, and a bunch on to go on from there, helping them understand how to deal with complex changes. She's a former executive at Accenture and also a faculty at SMU in executive education in the Boston Institute for Women's Initiative Fellowship. Now, we've been talking about change and uncertainty. There is plenty in today's environment to be uncertain about and quite worried about, whether it's economic growth or disruptive technology or the pace of innovation and change or cost-cutting and the stability of my livelihood. So I'm finding that lots of people are struggling with this whole notion of uncertainty and the chaos that comes with it, as well as trying to lead their teams through it. So we were just talking about two ways to deal with ambiguity and uncertainty. One is to reduce the ambiguity, and two is to increase your comfort level. So Mm -hmm. the need to not have all the answers, not be in control all the time, not to be perfectionist, willingness to try, adjust, learn, and reflect on what's working and what's not working. Now, Patty, are there other habits that we fall into that undermine our ability to cope with uncertainty?
2: Well, I do think uh, we started to touch on a bit about experimentation and trying, being able to you know, to see what works and learn from it and having that mindset. Um That's directly connected to what happens when people make mistakes, because that, if you tie this back to change and ambiguity, if people feel that making a mistake is deadly, what are we going to do? We're going to stop dead in our tracks. We're we're not going to take any action because it's too risky. So if you're pumping fear in the room as a leader, you can't make a mistake, you can't Try something new because it might go wrong. Your team and you are have a very difficult time adapting to that to the change. So that is, I think that uh, that um, making mistakes okay. I think there's a difference between an error and a mistake. An error is you didn't handle something that was there was a process you missed it. You're inaccurate, but a mistake means we tried something it didn't work. So as a leader, you've got to allow that that mindset of experimentation unless you it's something that is it has legal consequences it's fatal for your business yes those are things that maybe maybe you can't afford it but so many of us are in jobs where you know we can try some things and see what works i think that if you can't make a mistake you're never going to have innovation creativity adaptation to the new situation it's, just it's too risky people don't people don't want to take the chance it's easier just to hit kids Head down.
0: Okay. Now, do you find, Patty, that people, I mean, so certainly we know you don't want someone public as a leader or publicly to humiliate mm-hmm. someone who made an honest mistake as opposed to yeah. an error they should have known better. But do you find that people do this in much more subtle ways that in, that encourage the team not to take any risks?
2: Yes, I do. I think the message, too, is if if someone, and I've seen this in so many cultures, where someone uh, took on a risky initiative, it didn't really work out, and what happens? They don't get the promotion. Their career kind of gets sidelined because it was a high profile and it didn't go. Or maybe they tried the new product and they recommend it didn't go exactly the way it was supposed to. Instead of thinking, you know what? We learned from it. We best will help us move forward, it was deadly. So I think if you're dealing with unpredictability and uncertainty and you need innovation, you need new ideas, you've got to allow that. You've got to allow and and be up front as a leader and say, let's try this. Let's try this in two of our stores and see what happens. Let's try this in uh, this new approach in this one division and we'll see if what we learn from it and then we will adjust and, and try it in a few others. That that kind of more nimble approach allows you to kind of be flexible as you go and learn from it.
0: Okay, and I like that the notion that we experiment in small places. Um, yeah. Lots of entrepreneurial firms, Ideo, for example, will yeah. say, you know, fail fast. Yes, yeah. or some fail variation fast. on that theme. Do mm-hmm. it quick.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. Fight okay. Work. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Hmm.
0: I have a favorite story on this mistakes. That's a uh, it's done privately, but it, it has massive consequences. And so the story is a young engineer out of engineering school, really excited to join the company, very enthusiastic about what he's learned and applying what he's learned, and quickly seizes an opportunity to take a breakthrough technology into this firm and kind of do make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. And he makes his boss agrees and lets him make a presentation to the senior executives. And the presentation didn't go terribly well. But he's young, inexperienced, not quite prepared for it. I mean, a whole host of mm-hmm. things. They don't really mm-hmm. get the point. You can imagine how that sort of mm-hmm. works. And as they walk out of the room, his boss says to him privately, "Hey, I'm disappointed in you."
2: Oh, geez. yeah.
0: Okay, so what happens is that guy gets out of engineering as fast as he can get out and into some other area because he feels like his career is now stalled. And the net result, though, is four years later, guess what the hottest technology was that all their competitors were doing? And this company could have been the lead, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when you don't quite handle the mistake as well as you could.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's exactly. return back to our habits.
2: Are there any other habits yes. we should focus on? Um, we touched on it just briefly, but the other thing that I think is a little bit related to that is perfectionism, and it's these are all intertwined in my my view. All these things, and you know, and I think if you think about when we were in school, what were we trying to do? We were trying to get the A. We were trying to make the best grades we could make. We were trying to get into the college we wanted to go to get through and get whatever the degree, the honor roll, the National Honor Society, whatever it was. So we, from an early age, were very programmed to get the grade. And it kind of relates back to what we were just talking about in terms of experimentation. But perfectionism, as a leader, you know who you are. I've certainly put myself in this category of you want things perfect, you want things right. And what do we do when we have that mindset? It can't be wrong. We were talking about this just a minute ago. It, it can't be wrong, and our definition of wrong is anything that isn't perfect. So, if you have those tendencies, that is a big watch out. It is as you're in your period of high change; it gets, everything is not going to be perfect. You're not going to get the A. It is a learn as you go, you know, approach, which we've been talking about. But I would say those perfectionists are the leaders that I see struggle the most because you can't plan out step one through ten. Sometimes the best you can do is one through four. You can't see too far; it feels high risk, and they can be the ones that will struggle the most when in periods of high change. In my experience.
0: Okay. Now, do you have any advice to help the perfectionist in the world? <laughs> Be comfortable with the mistakes, the errors, the experimentation, and the uncertainty.
2: Yes. Well, I'm not a psychologist, so I won't go that route. But I will say, in terms of the leaders I work with, we always say, change the definition of success. What is it that you are, what does success look like? And it's not the gold star at the end. Because you know, I, I always tell people, if you're leading change, there's not going to be a parade for you. It's, there's just not going to be. There's not going to be the applause because usually with change comes anxiety. You, other people, sometimes, look as human beings, we will often not change and stay. Even if it's a better option, we don't want it because it's messing up our sandbox. So we often like the predictable, as we've been talking about. So that is a uh, I think a big factor here of people feeling like you've got to redefine your definition of success here before you can ever get comfortable that you know you can still you can still accomplish what you want to accomplish, but it's just not going to look exactly the way you thought. All
0: right, I like that idea. Can you give me an example? Change the definition of success. Can you give me an example of somebody who was perfectionist and they changed their definition? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think one of the one of the leaders I know I have worked with was very, uh, very enamored with. She was kind of a rising star and had been very had been given a lot of positive feedback along the way. And what happened was as she started leading in periods of change. In fact, she was getting a lot of resistance versus there was not the recognition or you know, you're doing a great job. And so what happened is she got to the point where I think she felt like she was failing because it, none of that was coming. And, I, and, and we talked about the reset of expectations. You've got to, you're, you're focusing on the end result, the output, because um, in periods of change, you are leading people through what is uncomfortable. They don't want, expect resistance. It's going to happen. It is not unusual. Um, and so you're not, it's different in normal times where you may get a lot of accolades, acknowledgement. You, you, it's not going to happen as you go because most people will, will resist it. Even, even people that you need to get on board will resist it. It will take effort and time to actually get them there. And so she eventually, you know, she was able to reframe it and started focusing on the impact and the movement. You know, we always use the term be an incrementalist. Um, you know, don't go for the home run. You know, worry about how can you get to first base? How can you actually, what progress can we make right now? And that's your definition of success. It's just a little bit different mindset versus we delivered the big thing. It was perfect. Everyone loved it. And uh, it's just not going to go that way. It's just not... All right.
0: So I can imagine there's two other ones that are going to be here. If I'm one that's motivated by getting the pats on the back all the time because I did it, I accomplished it, I got it done, then Mm -hmm. leading through ambiguity and uncertainty is going to be really painful because I'm not going to get that kind of positive feedback. (laughs) Uh, It
2: just isn't going to happen. and one of the things I found in the research I did on my book is I, I did a lot of research around what people, what I call wave makers, and those are people who were able to start change and see it through, not just, not just people on top of the organization, but throughout all different kinds. And one of the things I found in them was this um, kind of adaptable persistence where they didn't, their ego wasn't leading them. It was more, what are we trying to do? What's the outcome we want? What do I care about? where do I want the organization to be or what do I want to achieve? And they kept their eye on that versus their own personal success. And it was almost to a person that was a characteristic that they had. Doesn't mean they didn't have an ego. They had one, but they didn't lead with it. It was sort of like they might get shut down. They might get resistance. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get there. I'm going to learn as I go and not... Um, because often if you lead with your ego, your feelings, that, you, that desire for personal success, when you don't get it, it, it can shut you down. And I found people who were able to actually lead through ambiguity and change, they they're like, hmm, okay, that didn't work that time. Let's Let's figure out, now what? Different mindset.
0: Wow. That just explains an interaction I had with somebody very recently. Okay, fascinating. <laughs> So I love this notion that, um, this adaptable persistence, that keep your eye on what you want to achieve, where are we going, where do I see incremental, steady, regular progress and less on the kudos that I get, the pats on the backs, the acknowledgement, the recognition, the feeding of my ego. I love that one. Okay, so this means also if I am not patient, I'm in trouble within times of chaos and change. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, ask that okay. question
2: one more time make sure I
0: understand. Well, patient. I mean, it's, not, it's going to be incremental. It's not going to be a yes. big
2: wow. I just oh, have to have yes, a little yes, bit of patience. Yes. It, you've got to be patient, learn as you go, um, and, you know, have a different, you know, I always, you know, a lot of times you know, coach leaders are like, did, the, did I move the needle a little? Did I just, did I get somebody to to reconsider something they had been shutting, they'd, you know, shut down before?
0: All right, I love that. Move the needle just a little, okay? Mm-hmm. Incremental, not something we're all necessarily. We want a home run. This is incremental exactly. steps. Exactly.
2: It's, it's okay, not now Patty.
0: Happen. When we started, we were talking about there are two ways of dealing with uncertainty and chaos, and that the first one is. Um, reducing the ambiguity, and then the second one is getting more comfortable with the uncertainty. So we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. talking about how to get comfortable with the uncertainty. What do you do to reduce the ambiguity in the situation?
2: If you want to reduce the ambiguity, you become, we kind of talked a little bit about this, but you become much more short-term focused, and um, you, you focus on what can you control and influence, you decide, where am I going to spend my energy that is within my, my site? And I also think it changes the way you plan. We touched on this just slightly, but I also think that um, you start to look at what a plan is more forward-looking than history. So, as an example... You say instead of did we what did we achieve this past month? Did we do all these ten things that we planned? Rather than do that, you start to look forward and say, okay, what did we learn? You you become forward planners versus um, looking in the rearview mirror. So that changes certainly. Um, So I think that's that's one of the ways. And then you also you I I think you rely more on insights than you do just data or history. Um, So as an example, let me give you an example of uh, somebody that that we worked with. He uh, was a senior person in the banking industry. And he had always, there had been such a, you think about banking and how that's changed. And he had such reliance on relationships. One of the things that really distinguished this large bank um, in who they were, they they relied on relationships. Well, one of the things that um, you find in research is a lot of millennials they're not as interested in having those relationships. They want to do as much online. They want to do make decisions themselves. They want to they they don't value that as much. And yet for him, what he was doing is he was, again, back to relying on his history, is he was making so many assumptions about what was needed in the future based on his past experience. So one of the things he ended up doing was starting to look at not only the data and information, but the insights and trying to project forward, what is that? You know, I have expertise about how you build relationships. Maybe in this setting, it will be a little bit different. Maybe it will be, um, you know, I will build, a, will learn to build relationships, but through technology in a different way. So, okay. that was one where his, his approach to uh, reducing the ambiguity was kind of a reframe of how he looked at the at the problem or the opportunity.
0: All right. So again, it's not so much relying on how I've done it in the past. Mm-hmm, um, again, my expertise, mm-hmm. but looking at how I can say, where does this take us forward into uh, in a different way? I guess okay. is the way I want to yeah, say. It. So reframe.
1: Yes, yeah,
2: I, I think it's. Um also, I think when you think about relying on, you don't want to throw your expertise. Whatever it is you've spent however many years developing, of course it's valuable to you. It's, I think the, the opportunity is looking at is, what are the patterns? Is this situation, what's different about this situation than what I have faced before? Um, because we, we like to give the answers that have worked in the past. That's I mean, we all have that habit. So I think... More than anything, recognizing, being objective and recognizing what's different about this situation than what I have faced before.
0: Okay. All right. So and then reframe it for Mm -hmm. how we're going to approach the problem in a slightly different way. So I'm Mm -hmm. looking for insight, uniqueness, distinction, Mm -hmm. deviation from the patterns that I've always seen in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a different way of looking as opposed to relying on my certainty. I am look for look, I like that notion of looking for deviation. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're going to take a break again. With me today is Patty Johnson and the book again is Make Waves, Be the One to Start Change at Work and Life. And as you just heard from Patty, this is a bit of research on people who are wave makers who start things and see it through and what is it about them that's unique and therefore what can you do? And when we come back, We're going to talk a little bit about how you lead big-scale change and how you help people around you be more comfortable or manage the discomfort that's coming with change and with resistance. We'll be right back. us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn
1: if you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com if you are interested in finding out more you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of dr wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
0: Welcome back. With me today is Patty Johnson. Patty is CEO of People Results and specializes in complex large scale change. The book is Make Waves, Be the One to Start Change at Work and in Life. We have been talking about how to deal with the uncertainty and chaos that comes anytime there's any change going on. How do you get yourself through times of uncertainty as well as how do you lead other people? We're talking about two components. One is how do you reduce the, the ambiguity and the uncertainty that's present? And the answer is shorter-term planning and look for deviation deviations in the patterns that you always see so you recognize what do we keep doing the way we've always done it and what do we need to reframe and think about differently the second way to deal with ambiguity and uncertainty is increase your comfort with ambiguity and certainty and that has to do with how you deal with mistakes how you deal with perfectionism letting go of the need to be in control and a host of other things All right, so now, Patty, the ultimate question in times of chaos, uncertainty, and change has to do with resistance. So, do you have any advice for how we deal with people who are resisting, which you've already said is inevitable?
2: It's inevitable. It's going to happen, so don't be surprised. Um, You know, I always say to people, um, you have to be almost like take on the mindset of a researcher and really diagnose your resistance. Because what happens, you know, we go to, we have this great idea. We go in and we try to sell it to our leaders and we get shut down. And so we walk out and say, well, somebody like that, you've got to go back and ask yourself some questions. And, and, you know, and I think what I always say is ask, what was your original objective? How many times do people say it just didn't work when, in fact, they got halfway there, they just hit a wall? Well, why did they so got to, what were, you, what were you trying to do? What were your results? What okay. feedback did you receive? What progress did you make? You've got to also look at what really made your change stall. What was it? And, and sometimes it might be, you know, maybe there was no funding. Maybe you think, I just didn't build the support I needed to. Well, why, why is that? How did that happen? And based on the answer, if you really size up what happened and diagnose it, then you can determine What can I influence here? What do I do going forward? If that's an example, you, you're, the change that you're trying to, um, to put in place, the way you think it should be done is going to require a huge investment. And your company is very, very, they're, they're making reductions on budgets. Your timing is not right. So you're going to have to reassess. Maybe I can go for something smaller. Maybe I can go for a lower cost option. So you've got to be really objective before you can make those decisions. You can't just decide, um, it didn't work. You've got to really okay. be objective and, and consider why. So diagnose okay. it, take the emotion out of it. Back to what we talked before, take the ego out of it. What really happened here? And then you can draw some conclusions and decide, do I want to go forward?
0: Or go forward in what way, or regroup, or resell, or re right. whatever
2: it is, okay? One of my, yes, one of the, uh, actually examples, of one of the wave makers that I spoke to, uh, when I was doing my book, I mean, he had a great example of he wanted to create an alliance, I won't go into the details of it, but wanted to create an alliance, um, and a partner with the university on the way they were doing, uh, recruiting for their, this large management consulting firm. He had some big, bold ideas but there was no funding for it, and, you know, his boss was saying him, look, you know, Eric, you're asking for budget for something that nobody's asking for. Our clients aren't asking for it. Our leadership isn't asking for it. Nobody's asking for it, yet you're saying this change is imminent. It has to, we have to do this. And um, he said, you know what, if I can just have a little bit of money, back before, before we experiment, if I can just try this one little thing and let's see what we learn from it. And he got agreement for that, and that set in motion, this major change, that he was ahead of the game and knowing that ev- eventually it was going to be a change that someone was going to be asking for. But um, that's an example of where he had resistance, but he found that little path, you know, what's that little crease where I can actually make some progress.
0: Okay. All right, often, really the secret to influencing, any rate is taking people just a little step, just trying a little bit, just getting them mm-hmm. move in the mm-hmm. direction that you're talking about, small mm-hmm. experiments. Again, we come back to that one. Absolutely. All right. Mm-hmm. So, Betty, I'm fascinated with your wave maker research. So you talk to people who have made big change and made it stick, and you've talked about a couple of things that you learned from them. Kind of give us a summary of what the wave makers are really, what's unique about them.
2: hmm okay. I I looked at the wave makers. I interviewed them, and I found some patterns um, that were kind of constant, regardless of how experienced they were, what kind of industry they had, their role. And the first one I found was that they were very, they were very me focus. Not they were very we focused versus me. Um, Meaning, they had a bigger purpose in mind, a bigger impact. So the why was very clear to them. And it wasn't about just my personal success. It wasn't, there was more than that. They talked about what can our team do? What, how will our team be better? How can I make our organization better? The end result for our client. And so they were very much focused on that. And the second thing I mentioned earlier was adaptive persistence. These are people that I, I viewed as they were, uh, you know, so often you think of persistence as that person that's going blindly, to the finish line they're not looking at anybody they don't care what anybody else has to say but when you put a adaptable with it these are people flex. they were adjusting as they go they were looking for the a step back okay now what how can I keep, keep this moving so that was the second the third gracious learners that's something we haven't really talked as much about we did talk about it in terms of being good listeners um, but that curiosity of because that's one of the ways even if you're an expert think about like the kind of work that we do I mean what might have worked five, ten years ago, well, you know, the workplace is changing, culture is changing, so how do we take that and learn? You've got to be reading, you've got to be, you know, connecting with other people who are experimenting and doing new things. They were voracious learners, and, that, and often they felt comfortable. We talk about uncertainty and ambiguity. They felt comfortable. They weren't frightened by that, you know, don't have all the answers. In fact, they're kind of invigorated by it. Like, oh, this is so interesting, so fascinating, and then the fourth one. Collaborators and they found a way to work alongside other people to get the progress that they wanted. They found a way to create the community around people who care about what they cared about. And again, beyond was it wasn't just me, it was creating that network of people, that community of people who really are all in this together. And um, that was the key. So those are the four biggies in my research just to draw you know just the headline um, around
0: the wave makers that's incredible I love those four so it's not Mm -hmm. it's focused on the we which is a bigger Mm -hmm. purpose
1: and it's Mm -hmm. really clear
0: to them and it's about the organization or the clients or the team success Mm -hmm. So a bigger goal than just my career. And the second one is adapt adaptive persistence, this willingness Mm -hmm. to adjust. And that means that there's a lot of resilience in it, their willingness to do something, have a setback, keep moving, and not give up the prize, Mm -hmm. the goal, the ambition. And I love your Mm -hmm. phrase, gracious learners, quite curious and invigorated by that rather than frightened by the unknown. Correct. And then really generally like collaborative leaders. Now, this last part, I just have to ask you one question. They really create communities around them that care about what they care about. Is this a matter of drawing people to them? Is this a charismatic way of creating a community Mm -hmm. or is it just a matter of finding like-minded folks?
2: Well, I think like-minded folks because um, one of the examples was, um, you know, Kate Rogers who worked for a large grocery company that wanted to really be the destination for health. And she was given the charter of create the change in the organization that's going to affect everything we do, the way we buy, the way our stores are set up, the way everything. And she said, you know, I sat there and I thought, where am I going to begin? And she said my very first step was I thought – who are the people in this organization that care about this like me? And she came up with a list of about 15 people. She said it was all over the organization, different roles, different titles, different levels of experience. And she said, we started the conversation of what can we do here? And I love that example because often we start with what does the executive committee want and what do we need to do and work down? And she really started with who are the people that care about what I care about and then she had her coalition. So that helped her move her ideas through. She wasn't on her own. It wasn't, you know, a solo thing, as we've we've talked earlier today. So I think it's it's people who uh, are in the boat with you. And the other thing, too, I would add is in terms of knowing the the why and bigger than me, when you do hit those resistance bumps, which we've talked about, and you know you will, people will stay with you if they know what that bigger impact is. We know that it's going to be so great for our clients when we get this in. It's going to be so much better. And they're going to love it. So we're going to to stick with it, even though we're going to hit some Okay.
0: I think that's often what people mean when they say they want a sense of vision and a sense of strategy, is they want Mm -hmm. that, what's the bigger impact, what's the bigger picture, what are we trying to achieve, and why is that going to make a difference? Mm -hmm. All right, Patty? Fabulous yeah. conversation today. With me today is Patty Johnson. The book is Make Waves Be the One to Start Change at Work and in Life. And as Patty has just been describing, this is a series of interviews with people who have led massive change in their organizations and what it is about the wave makers that distinguishes them from their success. So, Patty, I think my favorite phrase for the entire day I love this notion that you not just try to reduce the ambiguity but that you increase your comfort level with the unknown and the the ways in which we get in our own way and do, do this one my favorite phrase is vision long and plan short thanks for being with us
2: of course thank you for having me
0: all right it's a pleasure so join us next week um, our show is going to be on purpose again connecting back to that larger mission
1: thank you again for joining us for out of the comfort zone tune in again for another edition with dr wanda wallace next friday at 11 a.m pacific time and 2 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel take charge this week Network, its staff, and management.